Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we're talking about K-12 public school education. We'll break down how coronavirus has changed the way our kids are learning and what kinds of long-term impacts we'll see in the school system because of the coronavirus. As the news about the coronavirus evolved, so did the state's plan for addressing it. First came an extended spring break in the middle of March. Then, in a joint announcement with Governor Doug Ducey and Superintendent Kathy Hoffman, there was an extended school closure. This decision is not made lightly, but it's the right thing to do to bring certainty and consistency to all Arizona schools. On March 30th, Ducey closed schools for the rest of the school year. Now, families are setting up virtual classrooms in their living rooms or at the dining table. Many are left scrambling to keep their kids learning. Here to talk about that with us is reporter Lily Altavena. Thanks for having me. Lily, schools closed last month. How are students and teachers adjusting to this pretty dramatic change? Yeah, the transition was really quick. The governor and school superintendent, Kathy Hoffman, announced closures on March 15th. Schools since then have been scrambling to get distance learning programs in place. This is new territory for students, parents, and teachers. So for working parents especially, it means their kids aren't occupied for six hours a day. Parents tell me they're overwhelmed with emails. I talked to Hoffman, who said there have been a number of repercussions. Because that's another issue is that some teachers feel very comfortable teaching online and using the online platforms, whereas we have many who do not, who also do not, may not have resources at home to do this or don't have the experience and training to do this. Teachers will get more training for online classes. Schools are now prioritizing online learning. It's, it's likely they'll reopen in the fall, but with so much uncertainty, the state also wants its teachers prepared for any scenario. So... As a parent who has gotten a lot of emails um, and a lot of questions just as a homeroom mom about this online safety and using all these different technology, uh, chat platforms like Zoom, you know, how how is the state and how are education officials kind of tackling these, you know, potentially, you know, scary issues that are arising with online technology? Yeah, it's definitely a concern and it, it is scary because we're hearing, you know, reports of unwanted guests barging into online classes with inappropriate content. Um, so I talked to some of the districts, some started off using Zoom and now they're switching to other platforms they feel are more secure like WebEx. Um, others are kind of locking Zoom down. So Basis uh, Charter School around here told me you know, they're using Zoom, but they're using passwords and they're making it so an adult joins the meeting before any students. Deer Valley Unified is password protecting every student. Tucson is training teachers to sort of be better Zoom watchdogs. How are schools handling teaching students with disabilities or who are in tough situations where they don't maybe have access to the Internet or, or other learning devices? So here's what Hoffman had to say about students with disabilities. 
yes, I think that there are going to be kids who are at a greater risk for, for aggression. Um, I also think about, again, this, those situations where, um, where families just don't have the resources, don't maybe don't have the language or don't have, um, just are, are really the ones who are, who are truly our most, our most vulnerable families where I, I worry about those vulnerable kids a lot. Basically, schools are on their own in figuring out how to provide special education services, um, which can be a real challenge for parents. So some services can be done over video, but it's not as easy. You know, there are challenges you wouldn't even think of, like a speech therapist told me some kids who stutter are nervous to see themselves over videos. So that adds a layer of anxiety when they're going through that therapy. You know, in some services, especially for kids who need intervention the entire school day, can't be moved online. Parents of children with disabilities say they feel like they're on their own. Um, and it's been eye-opening for education leaders to realize there's, you know, a digital divide between the technologies students have and, and what they need. For me, I, I keep saying this has been like a wake-up call because while we knew there was a digital divide, now we have a lot more data on what that looks like because now the schools are asking families, do you have internet at home? Do you have a device? How are you accessing internet? And the need is massive. The majority of homes in you know our rural communities don't have the kind of high-speed internet that supports video conferencing. And the Arizona Department of Education told me students need an estimated 100,000 or more laptops. And there are is a good chance we're going to see more investments into devices and hotspots from schools. Ducey and Hoffman, you know, have partnered to donate 200 hotspots to students and are trying to get more donations. We want all of our students to be able to learn from home, but that can be a near impossibility without connection to the internet. That's why we're going to have a mobile hotspot drive in Arizona. We want all of our kids to be able to get online so they can distance learn with their teachers. If they have a mobile hotspot, they can do it. We're going to kick it off with 200 of these devices donated from the state. We hear from kids that they miss school and they miss their friends and teachers. What could the long-term effects of this have on kids' mental and physical well-beings? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question um, because socializing is, you know, a huge part of school. Kids get, you know, lunchtime and recess and reading groups. And that is, that's impossible to replace at home. You know, I got, I was on a third grade video chat this week and one kid said, I miss you in the chat to all of her classmates, which was really sweet. So parents can get creative and, and host play dates over video chat, but that's, you know, that's a band-aid. Um, and, and we don't know how it will affect kids in the long run. And, and not every student is in a happy home. So we hear about, you know, social emotional issues a lot. And a lot of kids' school is their, their only escape. So counselors are, you know, opening up anonymous tip lines for kids to call for help and therapy. And, you know, we see a lot of schools who are just knocking on doors to try to reach the kids they haven't heard from because there's a lot of concern about those kids. So we don't know when, but we do know this will end someday and children will return to school. Do we have a, a sense of 
what that's going to look like when when they do. And specifically, I guess, you know, what about the gaps in in any education that teachers uh, detect in the kids? I, I've got a seven year old, and I'm telling you, it's it's hard to get her to focus on learning right now. It just feels like vacation. I'm guessing I'm not the only one. That's what I hear from parents. I mean, when when you give a kid a packet and say, you know, do this, it's it's going to be hard when they know they have this sort of like undefined amount of time where they have to do this work. So schools are preparing for a major academic backslide and some kids will be totally fine. You know, this is a couple of months and it's difficult. And as long as they're doing something that's stimulating their minds, you know, teachers are happy. They just need a little bit of education. It's it's not like they need six hours a day. But, you know, those most vulnerable kids, like, you know, the children experiencing homelessness, students with special education needs, those kids might have a hard time. And, um, you know, schools are preparing for that. They're, they're thinking about aggressive interventions. So getting aids in early, getting testing in, um, and, and for the students who need that kind of help, think, you know, extra reading, extra math. And Hoffman said she's thinking about that too. So doing some informal assessments to, to get a baseline of where students are and to see who, who, which kids are really, have really fallen far behind and then have interventions in place to get them caught up. So in talking with friends, there seems to really be a difference between just how different districts and how private schools are, are really kind of handling the schoolwork that's associated with the closure. Um, for example, in my kids' district up in Madison Elementary, classwork isn't mandatory, but it is at a friend's uh, private Catholic school. What, why the discrepancy there? Yeah, it looks so different everywhere. Um, you know, the the divide between public school and private school is definitely vast. You know, we have definitely seen private schools mandate schoolwork, which is a lot of work for parents in some cases. Public districts aren't necessarily making that same kind of mandate. In just in the state, we have, you know, more than 200 school districts. We have more than 405 or more than 500 charter schools. No one is doing distance learning the same way. Um, and in schools say they're doing it, you know, f- for what works for their districts. So some are doing packets because that's the best way to reach parents. Everyone's required by state law to do something, but the rest is up to the schools. So that's why you're seeing some kids on WebEx, some kids on Zoom, some kids having to do schoolwork and some not. So as far as when this ends, do we have a sense as to what, the beginning of the next school year will look like? I mean, could we see people going back to school earlier than we normally do? Um, You know, that's been tossed around as an idea in other states. I haven't heard of any districts considering it yet here. Chandler Unified um, has a really interesting calendar where they start school way earlier than other districts and have longer breaks. Um, So they're going to start in July I'll definitely watch to see if other schools adopt calendars like that this year. We'll see. So what are the long-term effects of the closure going to be? How could this pandemic like reshape how teachers and students and parents approach teaching long-term? I mean, are there going to be new innovations? Could we see funding shifts uh, on things like broadband access? Um, what, what, do you expect to see sort of long-term coming out of all of this? 
Yeah, I mean, this is really forcing schools to go digital whether they were prepared or not. So we've got, you know, 1.1 million students in Arizona public schools right now, and every single one of them are impacted. A lot of people think this will speed up the shift to digital learning. It might even push more students into online school. So I'll be really interested to see the enrollment in Arizona virtual schools to see if that jumps up now that parents know what the model looks like. You know, students are are now given work to complete independently and they get help from teachers when they need it. I've heard from a lot of people who think that that's kind of the model that school to shift to. So it'll it'll be interesting to see if this is effective. Um, and people in tech education have told me they hope this speeds up access for kids to high speeds internet, to high speed internet and technology, especially in rural areas where broadband access is really, really low. With so much money being diverted to other areas, could we see school funding drop as a result of, you know, kids not physically being in the classroom or, you know, maybe seeing eventually some of these fundamental shifts that you are talking about that that could take place if if people shift to different models heading into the fall. Yeah, I think it will really depend on on what happens in the fall because under legislation passed last month, schools are supposed to get the same funding they would if it were a normal year and there's federal money headed to schools soon and and we'll know more about where exactly that money will go soon in schools. Um, but there are funding concerns. The state passed a bare bones budget in March and adjourned and said they'll come back and figure out a more robust budget when it's safe to get together again. But, you know, when they do come back, they'll come back to a changed economy. Democrats and Republicans before all of this were agreeing on a lot. You know, both wanted money for school counselors, both wanted to add money for special education. And all of that has stalled, you know, because of these closures and because of this disruption, Hoffman said she's managing her expectations on, you know, a lot of those funding hopes. I, yeah, I'm, I'm um, grieving the fact that this, that with this economic downturn, that I am, um, I don't think we're going to see as much as we were hoping for. And I, I don't yet quite know what that looks like. And a recession could also really hurt school funding as it did a decade ago. Schools are are just seeing a lot of the funding restored this year. If legislators have to cut again, we could see the teacher shortage aggravated. We could see older school buildings, you know, already held together by duct tape, fall further into disrepair. You know, we could see programs go unfunded. It's it, It's really a mystery as of now, but the economy is going to definitely impact education funding. All right. Well, let's dive into some political afterthoughts. I find it so interesting the way that um, Governor Doug Ducey, who is a Republican, and Kathy Hoffman, who is a Democrat, I mean, they are regularly appearing side by side at press conferences and in videos um, to the public. You know, they're, they're clearly playing from the same playbook. Are you surprised by that, given their just fundamental ideological differences and philosophic philosophies on, on how children should be educated and what the government's responsibility is in that? You know, it's interesting because they 
they've always sort of gotten along. You know, the previous administration, Diane Douglas, before Hoffman, she never got along with Doug Ducey. Um, and now you see Kathy Hoffman, a Democrat, who is really getting along with Doug Ducey. I, it's... It's interesting, um, but it's it's been through our whole administration even before this. Do you have a sense of how Hoffman's performance uh, looks to people who you know care about such things? Has has she done a you know what is generally agreed as a good job, or has she been slow to react? Certainly, the the governor has taken his share of criticism for his handling of all this. How how is she doing? You know, I think it's been mixed Um, because Arizona is sort of a local control state. A lot is up to the school district. So the Arizona Department of Education, which Hoffman leads, really kind of takes a a backseat role in, in dictating, you know, stuff like food services or curriculum. That's all up to the schools. But we have seen her, you know, front and center in a lot of these school closure announcements, um, you know, at schools giving out food. I I think the reaction has been mixed. You know, you see different parents, like especially parents of kids in special education who want the Department of Education to do more. Um, but it's really with so much uncertainty, it's hard to know what more they could do. It seems to me that the way Hoffman is conducting herself and her, you know, clear willingness to work very closely with the governor's office and to not really criticize his approach, at least publicly, could um, result in, you know, major funding wins or policy wins moving forward once, you know, we're on the other side of this. Do you have a sense of, um, you know, what she may be angling for in the long term? Well, you know, I think uh, it's not losing those programs that they're really counting on. So, you know, they want way more money, you know, more than 30 million added for school counselors. And now that, you know, we might be facing a really tough economic year, um, a lot of people are going to be vying for, you know, a lot less money than they expected. Um, So, yeah, I think I think she is going to definitely be angling for, you know, funding wins as as probably everyone in state government will. Well, Lily, thanks so much for coming on. Um, these are difficult days and we're all trying to figure out what the future holds on so many fronts. So thank you for helping guide us through one of the more pressing concerns a lot of parents are dealing with these days. Um, listeners, be sure to follow her reporting by going to azcentral.com and clicking local. And Lily, where can people find you on Twitter? At Lily Alta. That's it for today, Gaggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and feel free to share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And if you have ideas for summer school for three young kids, let me know. Our kids was just canceled. <laughs> and I'm on Twitter at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Maritza Dominguez with oversight from Katie O'Connell. Thanks so much, as always, for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.